Hey everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Review Crew. It's No Pros uh, podcast where we talk to our writers and editors about what they've been seeing over the last few weeks. It's a partner to the Review Rundown that you can find on the site where we cover the same material and it's also where we pick the pick of the week. Um, so stay tuned and check out the other podcast to find out what is the pick of the week. On this week's episode, we have No Person Names Executive Editor. Well, actually, that's oh no, not executive editor, that's Catherine, <laughs> publisher and uh, founder. Yeah, you didn't say you could something better. I hope not. I but I'm I, I'm addled with a flu shot right now, so like I don't know what I'm hearing. Uh, we're talking about tacos, right? Like that's what yeah. today is. Okay, good. I had some is that, good a, is that, a, is that a blaze ball segue? No, 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 I'm not. I'm not setting you up to talk about blaze ball, Kevin. I'm never setting you up to talk about blaze. Almost, almost had him, Kevin. Uh, Yeah, almost had him. Should have just launched into it. Welcome to the running gag. Okay, Uh, that's me. Who else do you got? You can also hear our Chicago curator. Hi, everyone. It's Patrick McLean. And did you introduce yourself, Kevin? No, I'm. I'm the (laughs) LA (laughs) review. I'm just toasting. I don't. I don't need to introduce myself. I'm the LA Reviews editor for No Presidium, uh, Kevin Gossett. Because nothing says podcasts like three white guys yeah. who don't introduce <laughs> themselves in order for you to track whose voice is whom. You know, just just, <laughs> just yeah, talking over each yeah. other and just going on about whatever pop culture thing that runs into their mind that second. <laughs> it's a podcast. We're we're very different here. <laughs> All right. We're going to kick it off with uh, me today. I'm going to be talking about Deadbolt Mystery Society's Conspiracy Box. Um, so this, so Deadbolt Mystery Society and Patrick, I think we have a little bit more color as we get into it. Um, they produce a series of mystery boxes, kind of escape room in a box type things. And they actually uh, previously did have an escape room uh, where they sold some of these mystery boxes. So I worked on their conspiracy box actually with Patrick via this Discord. Um so conspiracy you are a private investigator working for someone a reporter i believe who you were has, hired uh, were hired by the editor-in-chief of the valley falls observer there you go um to investigate something weird going on in the newspaper and that is how the story starts and it takes kind of a conspiracy-minded turn through kind of maybe some some outer space stuff, some cabal type stuff, some secret society and assassins type stuff. Um, so that's that's a little kind of tease at what happens. Um, but what the what this box is really interesting that other boxes don't do is it's very I think narrative focused in a way that others aren't. Um, so when Patrick and I were were working through it and then talking about it afterwards, we described it as more as a mystery novel than like a whodunit. Um, I think that's a fine line kind of between those two things, but it really felt like that's what this one encapsulates is it's more kind of, you're reading through a mystery novel and there's these twists and turns as you, as you get deeper in. Um, and I thought it was actually a really fun time. Yeah, because I I think looking just at the title, we, you know, so there's a conspiracy with the paper and we're investigating and it seems to be, uh, to not get into any spoilers, it seems to be going in one direction. One kind of what I think, Kevin, you would agree is kind of a a trope and a genre that conspiracy stories always find themselves delving into. Um, but then roughly probably a th- a two-thirds of the way into it, there's a essentially a plot twist where it's like, oh, it's not this kind of conspiracy it's this kind of conspiracy and it takes on this like sudden uh, immediacy to the situation that really I, I found engaging and was kind of intrigued about. Cause I, I did not expect or see that coming. So let me, no. let me, let me, oh. let me ask oh, real quick, like uh, from the outside, cause you guys play this together. So you mentioned this plot twist and you mentioned that you were working on it together. Did you hit that beat at the same time? Yes, because because um, it, the box in itself, to get a, a little technical, no spoilers, but there's essentially it's broken up into three segments, 
and there's basically, you know, you open the box and there's the loose stuff on top. And then there's a, a first envelope and a second envelope. And, you know, you can't progress to opening any envelope until you're directed to. So what we would do is we'd work on the puzzles sometimes together. Sometimes we divvy them up uh, more practically just for review purposes to get through it. Uh, and then we would open it up together and then we would read whatever we were coming across of at the same time. So while it was maybe not instantaneous or at the same time, it did work. We did experience reveals in close proximity to each other as we encountered them. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of it what works too is it's, it is a lot of, of reading and actually worked fairly well on that front and we were able to split up the puzzles. But most of the, the documents in the box you access via QR code there's a lot of of reading so you kind of it's easy to hit it at the same point and kind of be like okay like we solved this mystery we solved this this mystery and now we're on to this one and it opens a new like story beat as you scan it with your qr code and we would both read through it at the same time so we were definitely hitting them near the same time as we went through and kind of like would chat about it a little bit and then keep working on the box so it was actually it was a different experience because i haven't worked on one over the phone or zoom before um but it it was it was fairly easy with this this style and kind of because there was so much kind of text and reading and story to it to to go through it and not like rush because you could tell where the other one was at um, too. And was it was it designed to to do that? Like, is it or is it it could be done for one person? You just or it could be done for as many people who want to play this thing. Yeah, it wasn't designed with that in mind. I think it was just I think Patrick mm-hmm. and I were both interested in. I were like let's try it over zoom and i think we expected to have one box between us and kind of sharing that way and they actually were kind enough to send us each one um which made it a little bit easier ah, but, i see um but they definitely... did say that they said in the one of the emails i do remember going apparently during the pandemic um a lot of people who do enjoy these kind of experiences or escape room like uh events and boxes they were multiple people in multiple households were buying the same box and using zoom or a telephone or discord or whatever to experience it together. Now, you know, whether that was just enough for them to notice, or if that really is a trend at large, who's to say, but it did actually work really well. And one of the things I liked about it was that having being in a household where I'm typically the only person who enjoys these boxed experiences, um, when I came across a puzzle I couldn't solve or I couldn't get my head around, it was really nice to just be like, hey, Kevin, I, I think this is is what's going on with this puzzle on this page of the newspaper, but could you double check it for me rather than relying on a hint system? So it really was kind of nice in that way that this was the first box experience I've done in a long time where I took no hints or needed a slight push from like the website or the app to tell me what to do. Yeah, and I think this one really does serve that kind of style of working it too. Because I think there were a couple of times we almost like traded puzzles. Like I think you got stuck on one, I got stuck on one. We just kind of swapped and, and worked our way through it that way. Um, and again, this format makes it pretty easy to like figure out what you're working on and and work on it even over a Zoom call. Um, obviously, it would work well in person too if it worked over over Zoom. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought it was, it was cool, and I think, like like Patrick said, those those twists are fun. At this this one we're talking about, really, it's kind of like, is is it really going in this direction? And they're like, oh, okay, like this is actually more interesting, and like it's, I'm glad they threw in like a pretty decent twist to kind of like keep people engaged as you head into like the later the latter part of the story for the box. Um, and did you did you really not see the twist coming when it when it hit? Like, or I guess I guess what I'm asking is. I mean, obviously, twists are a thing in this genre, but like, what it revealed itself to be, did did it did it uh, was it one of those things? Mm, gosh, I'm trying to formulate this with my fluke shot addled brain. Was it? Did it feel it, like completely out of left, left field? Did it feel no? Like I was. Gonna, it wasn't. Around? Yeah. It wasn't like a hard turn. Or anything. It, it made sense, kind of, with the story they were they mm. were telling. It just kind of brought it into a different track than it seemed like it was going, which I think. The the one I was going like Patrick said was kind of very tropey and well worn. Um, so to kind of go in a in a different path, I think 
help the whole experience rather than be like, oh, that was like a mind blowing twist. It was just like it was like okay, this helps the story, and I think gotcha. made it more interesting. Yeah, we went from we stayed primarily we built to one genre and stayed in it for quite a while to the point where it was like, okay, this is the type of conspiracy we're dealing with. And it was just honestly a breath of fresh air that while like, I wouldn't say that the conspiracy it became was any more like mind blowing or um, original in any kind of large sense of it, but it was built in. Like we could look back and see how, Oh, this is what's really going on. And it did very much breathe that energy into it in the sense that I'm like, oh, well, if, if we're going to do a trope, at least let's do one that hasn't been treaded over in movies and TVs and novels and all of that stuff time and time again. Word. And I think part of what, what makes it work, too, is it does it sets up these kind of characters that that show up throughout it kind of that you read about in the QR codes and then kind of weave their way through the story, which helped it to, in terms of like grounding a little bit in terms of not just like, not everyone's just like a suspect here, but some of these people are just like part of it. And you kind of, you quote unquote, talk to them through like the cards almost. Um, and, and they, and they're definitely not like they're good suspects in that sense. They're definitely a step above like, Miss Scarlet, you know, Colonel Mustard, like they are people. <laughs> They're not caricatures. They are right. people. Like I can't maybe remember their name, but it's like, oh, I, I, that person is the one who has the wicked sense of humor in the newspaper office. That's the guy who's upset about the editor and stuff. Like they all had motivation. They had all reasons to be in the story, even though they were just essentially on a piece of, on a card in our box. But I still knew who they were instantaneously and it was just not oh look it's the it's it, they're not all knives out characters it's not like oh there's the the rich nephew who doesn't know any better there's the entitled brother who is unaware of his presence like they they there was more to them all which was nice and that helps like wrap up the, the story too i think when you find out kind of the the person or group of people who are behind it by the end that it, it makes sense because you've kind of followed them and it's like you at least know like some of their motivations and kind of like understand like how that might have happened um and so yeah just it just made for a really engaging engaging box and i think not not a better style than like a the hunter killer ones but just kind of a different one if you're looking for like a different way to kind of approach these approach these games in more of a like a novel format versus kind of a putting things on the murder board and running string everywhere type of thing. This is a little bit more focused and kind of like reading an interesting page turner. Yeah. And there were, and the puzzles I thought were all well balanced and they all made sense why there were puzzles that we were encountering um, to a certain point. Uh, you know, it's not like, Oh look, you know, like here's just an obstacle for obstacle sakes. They like, did serve a purpose both either narratively or intriguingly to like kind of puzzle together and things like that. So um, I also just want to say really quick um, something with the box itself. It's a very small box. I feel like something that I kind of have grown frustrated with, with a lot of these box experiences is that they're so big and you open it up and it's like three sheets of paper and like some knickknacks. Right. Um, where this is like it's like a larger than an old <laughs> i'm gonna date myself a video cassette player box like a vhs <laughs> box like it's but but like in a world where i think we need to be mindful about printing things and stuff like that i did appreciate how compact it was and how small it was compared to like i would say like box one where box one is a really great experience but does that box need to be that big yeah, I did appreciate that. And it was it was nice to have everything kind of segmented out into like sections like Patrick mentioned earlier. It was like, okay, we're kind of done this one and maybe we'll come back to it at the very end, but you can kind of put that stuff away so it doesn't take up your whole desk or your table or whatever um, and just keep it all nice and neat in the box. And it's something I feel like I could either reuse or uh, gift to someone else to play this game as well. And now we're going to head into the world of VR, and Patrick is going to 
take us there first. Yeah, I've got two different uh, VR experiences that I've recently done within the last couple of weeks that I wanted to kind of give a shout out to. Uh, the first is The Secret of Retroopolis. Uh, it's from Peanut Button. It's currently available on Oculus and Steam. Uh, this is from a very small studio of creators who essentially have put together this um, noir tale. So basically, you are playing uh, Philip, who is a down-and-out private eye. Uh, conveniently, we did not plan that. I now realize we're talking about two things back-to-back with PIs. Um but he is a robot, and this it's a culture and society of um, robots and things like that, you know, of all different kind of shapes. It, I, I would say think of um, Fritz Lang's Metropolis meets kind of like the coloring style of Futurama to kind of give you a sense of what it is. Like they're, you know, very 1940s Art Deco and kind of like the architecture and the environments and the tone of course with the film noir aspect but very kind of bright and colorful and engaging and it was a really really awesome experience that i loved the narrative journey that i went on in here uh you know because conveniently you know philip is just passing the way getting drunk because he's a down and out pi and then conveniently miss montage uh, walks in and she's got a case that only Philip can help her with because her nefarious husband has stolen the prize jewel that she wears, which conveniently doubles as the power source that keeps her going. And without it, it's going to be lights out for Miss Montage. So you, you know, tail, you know, the husband and then things begin to escalate quickly as connections to Philip's past are made. And it's really cool. And what I loved about this experience was you could really feel the passion and the energy from peanut button and everyone in that studio was putting into this project. Like there was such a beautiful attention to detail in the environments. It was a rich, lively story full of, kind of tropey but engaging characters and like because it was done in quill it just had that beautiful kind of texture and fluid movement that was really engaging and there was a beautiful soundtrack which i i don't have the information to credit the person who did it but it it's available as like a bonus feature after you finish the game that is just worth sitting down and just list closing your eyes and listen to so I don't I don't have VR headset, so I, I have not played this um, and will not be able to play it. But I think I'm just kind of looking at the the pictures on their website, and I think um, what you were talking about in terms of the the style is really engaging. Because I sometimes when I when I do kind of approach VR, it always feels like a disconnect because of the graphic, like the fidelity between graphics is kind of not that good. And this one goes in a different direction that I think makes it work. It's almost kind of cartoony, but not really, and it looks like has like a very hand-drawn like animation style which is is pretty cool right and i think that's the power of quill and what it does is that you know they i i know you would know better correct me if i'm wrong but you could literally take a pad with a screen and draw the movements and quill captures it and renders it for the the vr experience right um so that's allows for that kind of really rather than some of the more not to not to put together is like what the standard needs to be but i it allows quill allows for character and uniqueness to be put in which i think allows for a more it's a lot like, it's a lot more expressive like yeah yes. like there's something a lot more painterly about quill and you know there's because there's also there's medium is is another th- another one of these uh you know, tools that was developed in the early days, but yeah, Quill was, if memory serves, that was the one that was developed in-house at Oculus and dear Angelica and a few of these other pieces use it. And it, it's, it's a tool that's native to VR. And so it kind of by default has a spatial, 
a spatial modality built into it and built into the character design, as opposed to, you know, people working in Unreal or in Unity, where it's kind of more standard, you know, maybe they're importing something from Maya or another effects thing and, and working it down the chain. Uh, all of which is like, you know, it totally works, you know, completely, completely works. But there's that airiness you get in in Quill's um, uh, design language, I think, does sort of add something to the overall effect and, and creates kind of a more dreamlike quality. Yeah, because when when like the the characters in this experience moved, when the robots moved, there was kind of like that noticeable, but in a really wonderful way, slow motion blurring of movement. Like if I moved, like I reached out with my arm and like swept out to be like, look at this beautiful bar we're in, right? And I hold my hand out. Like you can kind of see like the street. If my skin was like painted blue, like my it would be kind of like a blue streak would be there for maybe a second or two as I kind of moved my arm and stuff and it, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a kind of a choppy feel to it, but you really get the sense that like, it that's like the layered intention of movements and kind of like a, a way to express uh, how the environment is working and how alive it is. Um, yeah, so I, I, I would really recommend this experience if I think for if you're out there and you're kind of like you're newer to VR or maybe you've conquered all of the offerings on the quest that, uh, you know, we typically kind of recommend. It is really cool. I will say that it was a little inaccessible in the mystery part of it. There was a there's two times where you need to essentially piece together some environmental stuff to solve a puzzle to maybe trick some guards to get past them to grab a briefcase or you need to find a way to turn off the power to some electric fences and i did spend a little bit of time clicking around like trying to just be like what do i do next part of it was i was a little lost narratively and there was not a lot of um help in the sense of what to do but part of it was also because of Quill, everything was just like had such rich, rich texture to it. And it was so alive. So like in many ways, I discovered what happened typically. I, I was passing over small, minute objects or points of interaction because everything in Retropolis was textured and alive and was worth just stopping and admiring that I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I needed to grab that cigarette that was just slightly burning in the ashtray. You know, I just thought that was just a beautiful attention to detail and some wonderful set dressing. Mm. Um, so, you know, but for once again, as I said, for, you know, a newer studio doing some cool stuff and really putting it all out there in their energy, you know, it's there's problems. There's a few hiccups. But in the grand scheme of things, it was a wonderful case and mystery to solve. And I can't wait to see what trouble Philip gets into next. Uh, additionally, I'll just keep on rambling on, I guess. <laughs> I also, um, speaking of mysteries, I recently had the pleasure of doing I Expect You to Die Too, The Spy and the Liar from Shill Games. Um, this is, uh, for those longtime followers of No Proscenium, uh, this was a game that I think collectively a lot of the staff who have VR headsets just absolutely loved the first game that is. Um, essentially, you are part of a spy organization who is trying to foil the evil Zaraxxus organization at every turn because they want world domination because they're just evil people and it is up to you it's up to you as the agent to get in there and try to stop whatever thing it is maybe like it's just learn what the next step of Zaraxxus plans is and things like that or maybe it is to literally defuse the bomb before it explodes but what the gameplay and what's really kind of cool about I expect you to die the series at large is you're seated the entire time and that's built into the narrative. So every there's six missions in the second game, each one of them, 
you are sitting in real life, but then you, the agent in the game, are sitting intentionally as well. One has you up in the rafters backstage before a play is about to open. Another is you're in a wine cellar, uh, you know, sitting next to the glasses and things like that. And then uh, the, my favorite set piece was when you're in a plane, uh, a private jet by yourself, and, you know, you're just sitting in that beautiful chair and you hit the button and the food cart comes by. But this game is called I Expect You to Die for a Reason because nearly every other point of interaction can cause you to die. Sometimes it's as simple as, oh, look, the food cart came by. I'm going to have this delicious death by chocolate cake. You take a bite. Guess what? It's poisoned. You die. Uh, sometimes it's very James Bond elaborate. You know, you're trying to unlock a desk and you pull open the drawer, but you see that a wire snaps and then suddenly there's a laser that's warming up that's about to hit you in the head. And if you're not able to do quick thinking, boom, you die. So this game really, uh, once again, beautifully accidentally, is an escape room experience in that way. Is that you're sitting there, you have to interact with different objects and engage with them and puzzle out a solution, whether it's just, you know, trying to not die or whether it's trying to solve something to save the world. So with that, with that dying element, is it like intended you kind of like figure out the puzzles that way? Like you walk into the, the traps and say, okay, no, not to do that. Now, um, did you do Escape from the Assassin Artist with us? Yes, yeah. So it's definitely that same thing, Kevin, where you are expected to die because that is how you learn things. Sometimes it's really simple. Like there's some optional things you can always do, but like in one instance, I was trying to break into the uh, someone's desk, right? And I have my little, you know, light in my mouth. I got the little pen light in my mouth, and I'm looking, and I open up the desk, and there's a drawer, and it's stuck a little. So I give it a good yank. It's booby trapped. The cord snaps. A grenade falls out with the pen pulled, and I blow up. So it's like, oh, interesting. Maybe I shouldn't just rip open that desk next time and then what happened is the next time i took a screwdriver and i or maybe a knife or something like that and when i opened the drawer a little to that point where it got stuck i reached in there and i cut the wire before it like extended so the trap didn't go so it's definitely you are expected to fail constantly and quickly what's nice is of course is that you know you might be like, okay, well, so you might need to take a second to figure out how to solve what comes next, but um, it, it does all come there, and it is all very, it, like, everything is within reach. Everything you need is there, and it is very clear uh, is there compared a, to, oh, sorry. Is there is there a, a, a diegetic reason, is there a story reason why you keep dying and, and redoing it? Are you a new person each time, or... Or is it just a ha ha game over? Try again. Like, is is there context for your ability to keep on trying? A little bit of both, because because in the end of the first game, you play as a character who does die, but then it seems for sequel purposes you did survive. So everyone in the narrative journey of "I Expect You to Die 2 refers to you as the Phoenix. Like, that's your agent handle name that everyone kind of comes to know you by. Um, so it does seem to imply that people are aware that you're able to maybe seemingly die but overcome it. But mm. I would say, ultimately, it is just a gameplay tactic. Oops, you died. And okay. you just need to okay. try it again. I got to admit, I'm a, I'm, having not played either, and they're, they're, they're famous, and I'll... It's funny. It's like I, I never managed to get to do everything. I, I think I even like own one of them thanks to one of the big libraries I acquired at one point through like Humble or something. Uh, and I got to admit, like, it's a little disappointing to hear that there isn't a narrative excuse for your your resurrection. Like, that's something I really love in, say, Hades, right? You know the right. uh, the the roguelike uh, action game that you know the the the, the not so sleeper hit of uh, 2020 
um, that was just so great that, you know, yeah, ultimately you're going to die, but, you know, you're an immortal god, so you just wake up in the gutter and pull yourself back out of it and, like, go again. And everyone's like, yep, here you go again. Um, And that took something which was that, I mean, this sounds almost like a VR roguelike because... But I guess, you know, do you do you acquire anything over the course of these games that that kind of affect your build? Or is it just your knowledge alone? Is your knowledge that you, the okay. player, are gaining knowledge. And one could then say your character, you, the agent, have a level of expertise now that no other agent could possibly have. It's almost that, more... I think that's stretching it. Dark Souls than like roguelike where there's like I mean Dark Souls has like a light narrative like reason why you don't like fully die and come back and can keep trying um, is almost what it seems like you just kind of enhance your skills rather than like trying out a yeah. new build every time you go through. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you bring that up, Noah, because I think that's part of the kind of the the I think the first game was each of like the missions you go on in the very first one are seemingly inter- are not connected that they're just like you know, random, you know, kind of goofy, high concept experiences that you go in and get into trouble with and you either die constantly or you pull it off and you feel like a super spy genius where, and I expect you to die too, there's actually a larger narrative that each mm. one of these missions bleeds into the the next one. So I, in the first one, to your point where it's like you just die and it's a video game, it, it was definitely more set up like that. It was just like it, the very first game was just, I think, four missions of kind of just goofy shenanigans, like, you know, very kind of Archer meets like um, a Roger Moore James Bond and kind of the goofiness, which was fun and great. And this has definitely become more of like a Daniel Craig thing where there's like, a larger narrative and you kind of like feel like you're part of something and that does it you know you bringing that up it does it did take away from the experience of dying because i actually of the six missions i did two without dying at all but then there were several where it's like all right i just keep hitting every stupid little trap and i can't figure out what to do um so i wonder if that's something maybe they could address later on it does yeah it feels like maybe like they're they're trending in a in a certain direction um in terms of how they're they're contextualizing what's going on um but you know on the flip side there's there's nothing wrong with you know archer roger moore vibe games and like you know puzzles and whatnot and and i know that it, i expect you to die the original was one of the really early vr pieces so uh, to to get any kind of traction and to get people kind of really excited about the types of game play, like you know, it was it came out roughly at the same time or kind of the same cadre as uh, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. So this sort of you know Rube Goldberg puzzle room vibe stuff that I think that VR does really well, um, and because you're not you're not limited to a physical set. There's definitely something to that kind of puzzle, the, the puzzle romantics inside VR uh, that I, I just want to see more and more exploited. And I think to, to kind of go back to that that mention about the comedy, I think it's something that's always nice to see in in the kind of immersive space or maybe the VR space. I'm not as in, involved there. Um, I know that's something we were talking about a couple of weeks ago when Blake was on to talk about um, the show he did. So it's always just nice to, I think, see see some comedy stuff too people trying their hand at that oh, yeah. yeah and it, it it's surprisingly for only an audience like you're the only person there like i i was generally in both games smiling my way through compared to some other vr both experiences and just games i've played where it's just like all right we're going through we're doing the thing that was great whatever they there really is an effort to make the most of the genre and make the most of this Rube Goldberg puzzle experience for sure. And poke fun at it too, because as I said, like the, like the, the, the food cart on the private jet, there's a menu. So you can see like there's four different options and you can read the menu and the menu is very witty 
and it is very clear that most everything has a bent to it that will kill you somehow. You know, so they and I maybe that's the benefit of the sequel is that like at this point, if you're showing up for two, uh, most likely you know what you're in for. Uh, and then maybe that's the strength that they're also maybe with this is that like, you know, he had fun last time doing this, you know, it's the same thing, but we've learned a lot of lessons and VR has changed and we're ready to apply all that stuff and it works. And now we're going to stick in the VR world, but head to a galaxy far, far away for something Noah might be interested in. I'm, I'm not really sure. He's never, <laughs> he's never mentioned it before. So, oh, did uh, you pick up a new interest? Yeah. So I think, I think uh, something you were just talking about there, Patrick, about, you know, learning lessons and, and VR changing. I think that's, that's pretty apt because uh, my, my contender this week is uh, Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge Last Call, uh, the shortest name in virtual reality. Uh, <laughs> this is the expansion uh, DLC for Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge. It also uh, functions as the sequel. It completes the entire package. Um, it's It dropped today. It's only 10 bucks for the Oculus Quest. Uh, it does require the original Tales from the Galaxy's Edge, which is about $25. Uh, so the whole thing is about $35. And uh, with this this series, um, which a lot of us had intuited was going to be a, a trilogy because, you know, Star Wars things tend to come in threes. And there were uh, the, the original UI had things laid out in such a way that suggested there were going to be two additional episodes. Um this is now the, the end of it all. Um, and, and in some ways, kind of sad that it's the end of it all. So uh, the original Tales came out in November of last year, and uh, I liked it. Um, I wasn't head over heels for it the way I was head over heels for the Vader Immortal cycle, um, which had a very, very strong narrative. And, uh, you know, in that one, you were a silent protagonist who... Um, you know, uh, was was going through Darth Vader's castle, and you kind of got revealed that you know you have force powers, you're descendant of somebody, and and yada yada yada. All that was happening. Uh, kind of a classic Star Wars adventure with uh, you know, not quite he was the chosen one, but a little close. This time, um, they were going for more of an anthology series vibe, and the mainline story, uh, you played this nameless droid technician. Um, who, you know, you had a bunch of gear on you. So, uh, you, you had this, you had an inventory pouch that could have all these things like seeker remotes and thermal detonators and like widgets and gigas you could collect as collectibles and turn in for cash, which could then kind of get you mostly cosmetic upgrades, uh, and some extra, um, you know, remotes to like make combat easier. Um, and uh, you also had this uh, all tool thing, which you used for uh, interacting with boxes and and some of the some of the uh, kind of code like puzzles. Mostly, really light puzzling. Still to this through this one, very light on the puzzly side of things. Uh, nothing too difficult uh, you know, when it comes to that. Um, sort of for straightforward adventuring. Uh, and then there was a little story that you could get told if you brought enough collectibles to one of the supporting cast members uh, who ran a bar. Uh, and he would tell you the story about this Jedi Padawan uh, from like you know, 300 years previously. And that one was sort of very different uh, from what ILMX Lab, who made this and is uh, Lucasfilm's immersive entertainment division, uh, that was a very different experience than the things I've made before, because there you were playing a character who had a name, uh, Addie Sun Z. She was a Jedi Padawan. Uh, she had a voice, uh, so you could hear her. She was a fully voiced character. And whereas uh, the droid technician and your character in um, Vader Immortal was, you mostly experienced your your body as as a pair of gloves. You saw your hands, 
gloved up so you could sort of project yourself into the into the role of this nameless figure here because you're playing uh, uh addy uh you saw her hands and she's non-human she's got these kind of long purple hands with like nails on them so like you know kind of what in D and D they call a demi human. She's one of the demi human, uh, star Wars races, but, um, n- you know, alien, like you're, 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 you're playing an alien and it was really fascinating. Uh, and that was my favorite part of the original one was this idea that you're embodying a character who's other than you. So for this one, um, you know, the, well, I guess c- context, uh, the reaction was pretty lukewarm when tales came out. Um, and just so everyone knows, like we have in the podcast feed, if you're listening to this in the podcast or, or for the, for those of you who are like listening live, or there's a couple, we have an interview with the team in the podcast feed right now. There was a bonus episode we dropped today and I did a review on the website. Um, the, uh, the, the initial reaction was, was pretty lukewarm. Um, it was $25 people. Uh, some people were like, there's not enough material here. People always want more. Um, there were, you know, some complaints about the way the guns shot. There was complaints about the way the hover pack worked in which the hover pack could just go up and down. And that was basically it. Um, you know, there was an, there was a, a, another axis of movement. And one of my things uh, that I didn't make too much noise about at the time, but I think mentioned in, when I would talk to people about it, was that for being something that was set at the Galaxy's Edge theme park uh, attraction, which is at Disneyland and Disney World, because that's where the, the Galaxy's Edge part of Tales from the Galaxy's Edge comes from. For being set there, uh, it only lightly felt like you were there because in the game you can go to uh, you can you can go around to the wilds of Batu, which you cannot do at the theme park because the theme park's in town, and you can go into the back room at Mubo's Droid Depot, which is a shop at Galaxy's Edge. You can go to and, and buy things at, um, and you can go into uh, Sleazel Stack's uh, Cantina, uh, which is not a place you can go to uh, in Galaxy's Edge. You can go to Oga's Cantina. Uh, and Sleazel Sack's Cantina is in like this junker ship that is sitting above, uh, it's sitting at a very particular point. It kind of overlooks the the main quad where the Millennium Falcon is. And that's interesting because the one thing that kind of feels most like being at the park, or at least did feel most like being in the park in the original version of this, was standing in this one room of Sleazel Stacks and looking out into the quad and seeing you know, seeing someplace you'd really been in real life, like out the window. Yeah. You, that, you, yeah. You look out the window and there's like, they even have like ships going by and characters and you get the sense of like that world, that world alive, just right there passing you by as you're stuck yeah, inside. And, and you can't go. Yeah. You're like, I can't go there. That place <laughs> I want to go, which, which, you know, in, you know, when they released it originally, you know, they were not designing this with COVID in mind at the first place. So the thought, of course, being like, hey, you know, you've been to the theme park. Now get to go in the parts that you could never go to in the theme park. And then they released it into a world where we could not go to the theme park. Like it came out when the parks were not open. So it was like, but I want to go down there. But also like there were there were touches that just were sort of, I don't want to say like missing, but like. Um, you could see the world, but not touch it as much. And now in this, in this version of it, um, one of the main things they've done is while this is positioned as downloadable content and it's like a $10 expansion pack, it, I, I, I couldn't tell you minute by minute, but it feels like a lot more content than the original release in terms of how much is there. And, they in expansion pack form they've woven it back into the original story so the original story had uh i want to say like three or four missions in this story arc where you're you're rescuing c3po and r2d2 and then there was the addy side story and in this one they add uh a couple of uh chapters of this story where you're going to you're, you're you're looking for a relic that uh 
that Doc Ondar, the guy who owns the antiquities store in Black Star Outpost, uh, that he sent you to go get. Uh, and there's an IG-88 story that you can get told where you get to embody IG-88, uh, the, the bounty hunter droid from Empire Strikes Back, who's like cousin ig11 is the is the one who like protects baby yoda in the mandalorian uh which is now why uh ig talks with a new zealand accent they found they found someone else from from the uh flight of the concords uh community to voice this character which i think is really really hilarious um and then there's another little story with addy who's now grown up and you get a different set of sort of Jedi challenges. Uh, but it, it's, and then there's a culminating story. Uh, once you've done all that, you get a, a final chapter that introduces even more characters from black spire outpost and sends you on an entirely different mission. Um, that really kind of builds into something kind of substantial and kind of adds to the mythology in a way. And, uh, for, for DLC, it just felt so substantial, but even more important, well, not even more importantly, but, but alongside with that, there are these little touches that are there from pretty much the start. Like as soon as you go into Sleasel Stacks, now there's this Ronto wraps lying around and Ronto wraps are this like sandwich you can get. It's, it's basically like, uh, hot dog in a, in a, in a, in a flour tortilla with some, uh, with some slaw on it, uh, that you can get. It's at, like pita, man. They're yeah. It's pita. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like a pita dog type thing, you know, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a Ronto wrap. It's, it's, it's good. <laughs> and you can, and you can get them at the theme park and I haven't had one in a while. And like, they're just sitting around sleazel stacks. And if you pick one up and you hold it to your, and you pull it up to your mouth, your character will eat it. And if you've been injured, your health will, you'll get a little bit of health back for eating it. So they're like snacks and there's like a, a drink you can buy that also like boosts your, gives you like double your, your health bar because you, you get, you get wasted on this like, you know, synthahol or whatever. Um, and actually that one's got, I think it's like a tea. I don't think it's, it's booze. Um, and so, and then there's like a, there's like a, a kind of like a, Max, a xylophone instrument. Yeah. 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 The xylophone instrument that apparently there's something you can unlock where if you can figure out, if you learn the, the tune from this one thing you find, if you play it, you unlock an achievement. And so there's just these little things you can do that weren't there before that you can do kind of right from the jump. And that, level and there's also one that i will not mention and won't spoil because it's just too funny of a joke uh uh in fandom to like spoil it but it's the kind of thing that anyone who's like playing the game like i can't wait to like did you like have you done this you know you know, tell me when you get to the part where this happens i guess but even then i'd be spoiling it so just just know there's there's a deep cut in there and that feels like it's not only in conversation with Star Wars, and, but with the Star Wars fandom and with the Star Wars fandom that's specifically around the theme park. And if you're going to make a VR thing that's tied into the theme park version of your movie, <laughs> then you kind of need to go that deep to really have it pay off. And that that's just so charming but what's also the the work that they've done is a lot on the characters a lot on kind of the dynamics between the characters and look there's still things that aren't fully working right like you know the characters aren't doing a don't always do a great job of tracking where you are they go into their animation loops when they're when in a cut scene and it doesn't always feel like they're connecting with you uh, there are times when things clip out but there's a way in which they've started to build the relationships between the cast and the cast even at points appears with each other in different ways. And that stuff really starts to feel kind of like that immersive theater vibe we go for. Oh, these characters are acting, you know, like they matter to each other and then they want your input as well. And that's super familiar. Um, and there's just these gameplay touches like, they fix they they modify the jetpacks so and now you can kind of fly around a little bit more. Um, 
you can buy a holster upgrade so that the guns will recharge instead of just completely becoming just dead weight. So if you if you prefer to walk around with two Han Solo blasters like on either side of you and and those always ran out of ammo, you can do that now. So you can you can get your John Woo on. Um it's uh it's just this well, market improvement over what was there already. Yeah, because I feel like um you kind of touched upon this briefly, is that I think for me, my experience in playing both so all of the Star Wars stuff, and I only play I've only played a couple hours of Last Call at this point. But I think what I loved about Evader Immortal and why I play it probably once a year, mm. um, all the way through again, is that it was um li- like living in a Star Wars movie. It was a Star Wars experience where you're on as you talked about, is you're on the narrative and you're the star of it and it, it culminates to this intense awesome climax and it's really rewarding and cool i felt like when and i so that was the expectation i had then set personally right. going into tales the original release about a year ago at large and i feel my complaint my personal complaint with tales was it felt like I was no longer in a Star Wars movie. I was in a Star Wars video game. Mm, And I would wander around environments and I would get turned around because I feel like, you know, Half-Life Alex came out and that was like, that. that's now this gold standard. I guess we're all chasing for first uh, VR shooters or whatever. But I I felt like the, the initial part of tales lean too much into just wanting to be a video game where it's like what you're talking about no it's like no i want to talk with characters i want to just play around in this world i want to have a drink i want to change what music is playing on the jukebox in this cantina and from the like i've played maybe about three four hours of last call and you're absolutely right like they've 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 I'm not sure if they've either pivoted away or toned down the video game aspects and they've ratcheted up like the story and experience elements. Yeah. It feels like, it feels like the story's become a lot more of the focus and that doesn't mean that the gameplay is not there. It's just that, you know, the doc on you know, story is now more of an Indiana Jones adventure. You know, you're, you're, you're solving tiny little puzzles and you're putting clues together and you're looking for a relic and you're scanning things and like you're pulling lots of levers and there's still guys jumping out and shooting you and you still got to like take a step back and like you know heal yourself up and 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 all that good stuff so like that that game is still there you're still there's still that aspect of it that has you know it's sort of the dark forces aspect to it that's still in there but they've rebalanced it a bit more so that the environments are a lot more interesting, you know, like you feel like you're exploring and and discovering stuff. Um, and, and you look, you know, like they, they shipped that game, you know, six months into the pandemic. So they hadn't even figured out how to really work together yet. And that's something that gets mentioned in the interview today uh, that was dropped today where, you know, they had a lot of work to do to sort of refigure out how they were going to work together and how they documented stuff so that people knew what they were going for. And whatever they did really seemed to work. And it's, it's also interesting that, you know, the IG-88 level is entirely different from everything else. Like the Addy level in this one is different from the Addy level that was before the IG-88 level. Like it doesn't even use the same verbs necessarily. Like you're kind of just more like waving your hands around and like auto locking on stuff. Uh, in order, and it takes well, like, a and minute. The interface to kind of get... is different. Like and, yeah, the interface there's, there's is a, different. There's like, it's like a, not attention to detail, but there's a different way into each of these stories now. Yes. Like it, they're the tone, the tonality and what you're kind of, how you're going to be engaging with the world at large and other characters is much clearer and much more distinct in yeah, each telegraph segment you do. Yeah. yeah tel- and does, telegraphed really clearly. Kevin. Oh, with that kind of different format, does that like, yeah, I think you mentioned the tone, Patrick, but does it like, like make it really feel like you're playing now you're Jedi, now you're a robot, now you're whoever. Does it like, it really kind of, that comes through in that switching formats? Pa- Patrick, what do you think? 
Yes, because I so I did do the IG eighty eight level in its entirety level segment. Um, and you know you you, you can die. I did. I did. You know, I did self destruct at one point because I, <laughs> I self destructed early in that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can't. You can't be doing it. But you do feel. You do feel powerful you do feel unstoppable you literally feel like a killing machine that like there's a reason why people are afraid of you well, and, and i think also and, like and to a point like characters react to you differently like there's a moment early on spoiler sorry where like you know you go up you know into where you're going and like a character sees you and just loses their shit you know right? like starts running away in fear because you're an assassin right <laughs> and like when one of you show up that's like that's like trouble. Uh, and that's a great moment because it also, you know, when we talk, when we talk, when I talk about, you know, immersive theater and about like how we like bring a, a, a participant in, I often settle into the vocabulary of, of improv and of endowing a character. Like you, you endow someone with qualities. And that's exactly what they're doing here. You know, the other characters treat you a certain way. And because they treat you that way, you start to act that way you respond to where the world wants you to be. Like that's how you know what your role is and your role is to be this unstoppable killing machine. And I, I definitely died a lot of times in that one, but, but I never felt like I was an unstoppable killing machine. I just felt like I Noah was doing the role badly. That, that was the interesting thing. I think for me, like that was my psychological. It's like, Oh, I'm playing this wrong and I got to figure out what it is I'm supposed to do. Not a good killing droid, man. You're just not a good uh, computer. You need to get a new software upgrade like me and then just walk around and be like organic life. Pew, 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 pew. You need to do that in an, in an, in a bad New Zealand accent, mate. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> throw, throw, throw another Ugna on the Barbie. Wait, that's the wrong thing. Oh, wow. That was, it's the flu shot. It's the flu shot. Uh, CR, it's a podcast joke from the beginning of this one. Um, you, you stayed stayed to the end. You get the uh, the wacky bits now. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so no, actually, I think yeah. Go for it. Oh, I actually had one question for the both of you. Kind of change topic slightly. So no, I know you've been to Galaxy's Get Edge, and Patrick, you haven't been to any of the Galaxy Edges. Correct. I have not Galaxy foot, Bat- uh, foot on foot on So how does that? Factor in, I guess, I know, no, you talked about it, kind of like you can see some of what is there, but does that affect like the play experience and does that make you want to like visit it more or how does it like incorporate with the world of the existing, like the physical space that is Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland Disney World? Well, Patrick, I wonder from your point of view, uh, do you, does, does it change your relationship to knowing that that place exists at all? Yes, I I wasn't joking when I'm like when you were or when we were talking about looking out the window longingly at the park. Like I, the first thing I did after having not played this game was when I finished it last year. I went back to that window and I looked out. I just looked out. I saw the Falcon. I <laughs> oh, saw no. the people walking about, and I they definitely added a lot of stuff too. Like it's definitely. Batu out that window is much more lively. So I definitely felt the call and be like, this is a place I really want to go. But I would say I'm still kind of the wrong person to ask because <laughs> I have in preparation of wanting to go, I've read two books about this. I've read a comic <laughs> book. I've, I've, I'm sure I've done more. I've bought more paraphernalia and things like that, that it's about this park that I still haven't gone to. Um, but I would say in short, it does fuel the drive to be like, yes, I do want to go there. And I, I want to, I look forward to being there in front of the Millennium Falcon and looking up and seeing uh, the cantina and being like, I was up there. Yeah, you, you won't. That's the one downside is like where the cantina oh. is, like where Cecil Saxon is, like <laughs> there's nothing there. So uh, at least the last time I checked, uh, there's not a mock-up there. Um You'll know exactly where it is, and then you'll you'll you'll. What'll be interesting is you'll be like, oh, oh, you'll actually be like, oh, I, I never thought it was going to be that close to such and such a spot. Um, but uh, I won't say which or where. But yeah, it's, I guess I'll just have to. It's, it's not there. I'll have to yeah. wait for the special edition release of the park. Yeah, in twenty years <laughs> when they when they re- digitally alter in real life the cantina up there. Well, there's, there's, there's a few the, things. Uh... 
they finished yeah when they finished they the yeah and they they put the, put the actors back in so uh all, all the things we want them to do um i'll say like you know because of what they've because of what they've managed to put in because only the, the there's four spaces you go to on but two there's um there is the uh almost almost like five there's the there's sleazel stacks cantina there's mubo's shop but you you do not go into the part of the shop that is the actual shop in galaxy's edge there's the wilds which are just you know wild territory um and then there's the outside and the inside of the jedi temple that used to be there um and what it starts to do is give like a really full sense of the place i think as someone who has read novels and comic books set in batu outside of the park you know it doesn't really take us to those spaces i think the thing that it does this time that really makes ties it in and a big just a simple one and a big one is Doc Ondar, who is at the the Den of Antiquities. And and I know, Kevin, you've been there. So you know Doc. Mm-hmm. He's the authority and the thing. Doc shows up and comes to the cantina, and he's your quest giver for like the 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 main new missions. And so he's there and he's talking to you through a translation droid. And they got the guy who does the imagineer who does the voice for Doc, um, uh, the authorian voice they got him to do both do the voice and do the translator droid voice so here's his real voice but mechanical or his english That's speaking voice and that's authorian right and so that level of attention and detail there's another character i mean it's already been announced so it's not a big big deal but you'll spend your you'll spend a lot of the game wondering where he is you know hondo's in this one right and um uh i guess what's kind of interesting is like the hondo model is a little bit more like the the clone wars model for hondo and a little bit less like the park model for hondo if i'm remembering correctly and mostly around like hondo's hair the hondo the hondo in the park is a little more like what if hondo watched pirates of the caribbean and said like oh i want to be that that captain jack sparrow he's got style um you know just like me you know um uh so that there's there's that going on but um, that was a very bad Hondo impression. I apologize to everyone. I'm now 0 for 2 today. Um, but uh, <laughs> we'll let you, we'll let you speak Wookiee at the end and redeem yourself. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I do I do a better Wookiee than whatever they're doing in the uh, in the Tempest Runner audiobook right now. I'm very disappointed with the Wookiee voice in that one. And that is a professional production. And I'm going to say that right here now. Uh, just just uh, Kevin and Co. Call me because that Baryaga is not good. It sounds like he's muffled. Bre- um, Breaking news. Uh, white fan upset at Star Wars. What? <laughs> what? I didn't hear a part of that. He got eaten up. Oh, I was saying breaking news. anyway going uh, going forward i don't know what patrick just said uh the having those characters and even more than the little touches having those characters be in this version of it grounds it into that that fiction and that world in a way that wasn't before and and it does sort of feel like the story they're telling is the story of like you know what was happening just because like the whole park is like on one day, right? Here's this day at the park, right? Like it's this, it's this perpetual day playing out over and over and over again. This feels like what was happening like a week before. Like you get a real strong sense of when you are in this story. That's that's cool to see that it like enhances what's already like there too, and they've built off that because I think that was probably the point of it to some degree, right? Yeah, yeah. It really feels like they've like fulfilled the promise of this thing narratively and design wise, uh, and because it's only like ten bucks, and now the whole thing's like thirty five bucks, it it stops feeling like wow, this was like a pricey first chapter and something, and now it just feels like oh no, this is a this is a complete like game yeah that's that's cheaper than a lot of a lot of games out there right now anyway so 35 bucks 
Not a lot of VR yeah, though. VR, 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 mm-hmm. VR stuff. I feel like VR stuff like is around like a lot of it's around twenty five or like you know thirties on the high end for things. Uh, but but this now feels like a, a a goodly amount of content. Cool. And uh, I think we can wrap it up for today. So stay tuned to the uh, main podcast to find out what the pick of the week is. Um, does anyone have any? last pushes for their their pick this week uh, i would not not for the pick but i would really love to call out um our friends at room escape artists as we i previously talked about they had recon their yearly escape room convention they have started to release some of the pre-recorded talks that they shared uh, they're on YouTube. The I believe all of the first day Sunday is there. There are some really great talks there. I I caught one today that I missed because I was in a workshop about the uh, Chinese market and uh, how escape rooms are working there, and it was incredibly fascinating. And all of that is just free and available. There's also some really great talks from creators who are are working. I really liked Errol's conversation about the base of escape rooms it's all there really should go check it out it's definitely worth the watch all right give that a look and then um check out the site of course especially as we ramp into spooky season here um i'm sure there's gonna be a lot of stuff from kind of all over the place as we cover all of those fun shows I'm I'm at Knots tomorrow, so that'll be in the roundup next week. So we'll, we're going to get into it. We're getting into it. Great time of year here for Immersive in LA. And uh, for everybody else on the crew, thank you, and we'll see you next week.